this Warriors Life slash Fonzie Talks Warriors podcast 2022, episode 13. Uh, the title this week, Fonzie, is Welcome to the Brown Parade. Um, timely with my chemical romance making a bit of a comeback as of last week, I hear. Um, I'm no emo music fan, but I've gone from emo right through to the other, the far end of the scale of depressed goth listening to the Cure records in my bedroom um, on the back of some pretty dreadful Warriors performances. First of all, mate, uh, how are you feeling after the South Sydney game? How am I feeling? Well, it's it's been a week of highs and lows, Will. So I, I'd probably say I'm uh, I've, I've been the music I've, that's reflected my mood's probably been an old favourite, like Tool. You know, a bit of light and dark, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so, and and that's partly because obviously we had the opportunity to talk to Simon Mannering um, last week in in what was an amazing conversation to be part of, and you know that gave me quite a, a different perspective on some things to do with the club and and how things are going um and so yeah that was a, a real highlight and had me buzzing but the performances on the field have had me pretty down and simon likes his medal right so probably tools the the right mix for the week for me yeah absolutely uh how good was it having mannering on him what a bloke um yeah you can't thank him enough for his Firstly, giving up so much time, but also his candour and honesty and, um, yeah, plenty of surprises in there, but it's very upfront and very engaging guests. And, yeah, thanks to everyone that's given it a listen and all the lovely feedback. Um, certainly no one enjoyed it more than you, uh, me and Brad. I'm sure that Brad's on the podcast this week. I'm sure he, his family and, and Simon's family are going caravanning or something after uh, how much <laughs> they bonded last week, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. What, what were your biggest takeaways from uh, from Simon's chat? Yeah, I got a few. Before I jump into that, just to say too, like Simon probably gave us another hour of time um, when we weren't recording. Like he just was happy to kick around and yeah. have a chat. Um, and he was that that recording you got, as you could probably tell, there was no substantive editing in it. That was the conversation, right? It was that was real, exactly how it went down. Um, and the the thing that you might not have appreciated through a pod, but that we got to see um, because we did it as a video call, was actually quite how thoughtful Simon's answers were. So that, like he was um, he's got a naturally slow, gravelly voice that made all of us sound like high school kids, right? But um, it, a lot of the time he was speaking slowly because he's been very thoughtful. He's actually really thinking about a lot of the questions we asked and the answers and what he wanted to say about them, um, which was which was awesome. Uh, so, yeah, um, again, yeah, how it was great to have him. I'm, you know, privileged to have had the opportunity. So takeaways. Defence, well, that's that's my my first big takeaway because towards the end of the conversation with Simon, he uh, basically flipped back to us and said, well, what do you reckon's going on at the club? And I gave him my minute download and his response to it was, um, you're talking a lot about attack there, Fonzie, um, and I, I don't disagree with you, but when I watch games, I start by looking at defence. And um, he talked about the Melbourne game and how... Um, he thought we were losing the yardage battle because of defence rather than because of carries. And so I thought that was really interesting and that sort of prompted me to 
um, take my own advice that I've given on this podcast before, which is uh, fans love to look at attack and we tend to overlook defence and it's half the game and so it's really sort of shifted my focus in the next little while. Um, so that was one thing. The other was just around his consistency and toughness and attitude and how important that is and in terms of the players and coaches he clearly admires, you know, that, that seem to share that and it's yeah. clear that, that to him that's fundamental to building a club and um, until you you know, neither of us have ever played high-performance footy. And, and I think, again, that might be slightly underappreciated a bit if you're not in that environment, just about how tough the game is, how tough the environment is in, in that high-performance um, system and therefore how important that mental toughness and consistency really is. That's another sort of takeaway for me. What about yourself, mate? Would you... Yeah, similar, definitely the same parts were uh, really resonated with me. Um, I was glass half full. I was um, sort of heartened by the by how the things that he said made it seem that it's you know not that hard to to get to where we want to be. The the principles are quite simple. Um, glass half empty. We're miles away from from that on all of those key principles being defence. Um, yeah, which you know they didn't have anything too technical to say, just about attitude and commitment. Um, and and also, I guess this was maybe slightly um, disheartening for where we're at now. But just talking about one, you know, the key being um, recruiting players that want to be here for the right reasons. Um, and you know, obviously through his career, there was a whole bunch of. Uh, players that, that were that did come to the Warriors for that reason and and were the backbone of successful teams, your Michael Lux and those sort of guys. Um and and obviously others that, you know, probably came on overs and weren't quite quite here for the for the, you know, right reasons as far as success goes. Um and that might have underpinned some of the inconsistency that, that we've seen from the Warriors over the last sort of decade. Um and probably now as well. Um you know, wouldn't doubt anyone that comes to the club really wants to win, but um, yeah, I don't know if we've got that kind of uh, right attitude bedded in to the squad at the moment. Uh, but yeah, plenty of food for thought, um, and certainly it's, it sort of reinforced my um, passion for the club or supporting club at least, um, even if we're not quite where we want to be right now. And just for you train spotters out there that really uh, hung off every word in that. Um, podcast with Simon that uh, that painting that um, Fonzie took down because he thought it might be distracting for Simon. It's back up, so obviously it doesn't uh, have the same <laughs> same concern that I might be distracted by it. But uh, that's what you get when you're a celebrity guest on TWL slash Fonzie podcast. First impressions, mate. First impressions. <laughs> I mean, there was much more the description of his experience in a short observation of the Melbourne system versus what he'd seen at the Warriors was confirmed a lot of what we've thought. His description of the under-20s and the profile of players and, and how we were managing players through that comp and then their sort of lack of readiness for first grade yeah. um, was there as well. And we got um, issues. That, it's not the same, but I think we got similar rhyming-type issues at the moment, I think. Um in our squad now, so there was there was quite a lot of different bits and pieces there, and and um, you know we we sort of didn't set out to chronicle his time at the club. We more just wanted to have a 
a wide-ranging chat, but I think it, it yeah, it, it really touched quite a lot of different points that helped me understand where we are um, now, in, including sort of indirectly, let's say, help me understand where we are um, yeah. and why. So do we, we better talk about the South Sky, man. We're going to do it. Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll tee off with my take. So a lot of people pretty pumped about the second half and I, I yeah of course I'm happy that we didn't end up getting towed up 60 to 4 or something but I thought that first half was about as bad as we played it was the Cronulla game it was the second half of Melbourne um, all over again and I don't think South are that good a side personally I don't think they're um, I think it's reasonably predictable what South are going to throw at you um, and I don't think they're a relentless disciplined side and so to me South took the pedal off in the second half and we did improve definitely but it was probably an equal South dropping off us picking up and I never thought we were going to run them down to be honest I'd like yeah. South has sort of seen the finish line lined up the plane to just coast there without having to do any more than the bare minimum turn the engines off and you know we, we sort of um, made a, a show of it but I don't think we actually ever made a game of it. Was my take? What, what do you think? Was that is that too pessimistic a summary? No, that's probably optimistic from where I was <laughs> I, after leaking those first couple of tries. Um, I just sat there watching the rest of it with total indifference and actually a bit of annoyance that we came back. I thought we deserved to get a sixty odd point flogging, and we probably should have been down thirty two now at half time with uh, Elias coming a couple of centimetres short, yep. and we jagged one just before the break. Um, I thought the, the floodgates would have really opened, I think, if it was 32 nil at halftime. Uh, look, good on them for coming back and the players that sort of sparked that. You know, obviously, Reese Walsh went quite well. Sean had some moments in a an Apache game. Uh, Montoya, um, I thought, went really well. And, and obviously, that triasis was, was pretty... Uh, Pretty nice, you know, uh, just good individual moments. Dejan Arce, solo try, Jazz mm -hmm. um, burrowing over for, for one. Uh, but, yeah, as you say, Souths aren't flying. They're missing Cameron Murray and Mitchell, probably close to their two best players. Um, you know, yep. in, in effect, it was just a garbage time comeback. We didn't get our second try until 17 minutes to go. So um, two of them come when Souths had a player in the bin. It was good to see them actually scoring against the 12-man side for a change. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think... Souths were playing yeah. with a 16-man 16, 16 side after Liam Knight went down early. Well, sorry, who went down early? Um, I can't remember. Uh, Jagger Post, yes. Yeah, Post, so that's, that's right. Yeah, Knight came on. Yeah, so, I mean, they were going to... They were going to tire and we were going to have a couple of shots at him late because of that anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I th and as you said, I thought it was the worst over a pretty, pretty fucking horrific month in some parts. I thought that first half was the worst uh, by a decent margin. Um, and, you know, 32-30 usually, and I usually would be quite, you know, pumped on it. I guess, after being down by 26 points. Um, like if they'd managed to got a, get a miracle at, at the end, it would have been the equal biggest comeback in premiership history. But, you know, that kind of de despondency of the media and the fan base on the whole, I know there was some positivity around it, but, you know, in a two-point loss um, when they trailed by 20, 26, it kind of illustrates how bad they were for that first hour and how the comeback sort of papered over 
some pretty seismic cracks, uh, that defence in the first half, and just lack of resolve, like leading South March down the field because the Sean Johnson kick didn't come off or whatever, and the, you know South started to set a metre out from their own line, but still march up the field and score on top of the, you know, just really disorganised uh, edge defence and, and at the other end. Um, yeah, the combination of it was pretty horrific, really. Yeah, you know, I have to agree. I mean, we, we should we should point out or remind ourselves that we played that game with effectively a, a makeshift ring in six and a makeshift ring in nine. Right, so yep. you know we saw Melbourne with a couple of spine players out get towed by Penrith on the weekend, um, and obviously Penrith are better than South. But my my point is that 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 actually is a pretty drastic situation. Like the the six has only been there for two weeks or three weeks. The nine literally arrived on the Wednesday or Tuesday before the game, and he hasn't played all year. Freddie Lussie, I don't think he's played a game of any kind all year. Really? Uh, I think that's right. Yeah, someone can fact check me on that. So it was that then puts enormous pressure on your your one and your seven, yeah. Right on Sean and and Reese. Um, and so if you sort of look at it that way, it's it's actually not surprising at all that we got beat. But it was more the manner that that first half um, sort of ran away from us. And there's been a lot of talk about our edge defence and goal line defence in some of those tries. Um, what did you make of that, Will? Are we um, are we any closer to being able to diagnose exactly what's going wrong with our defence? Um, obviously, I'm taking most of my cues from your you know excellent, excellent analysis uh, across the season and, and previous seasons about when you're getting sort of rumbled through the middle, that pulls in your your defenders and and leaves you a bit stripped for numbers out wide. Um, but I don't know, like you just got to be better or come up with... It was just so simple for South. Like, I mean, I don't begrudge some of these guys on the outside. They were left posted a little bit, but surely you've got to be able to put up something better than than what they did. It looked like a training run for Cody yeah. Walker out there. Um, like, from first receiver, it looked like... It looked like a, a try coming for South in each of those, and... Yeah, obviously, Arcee was uh, struggled with his reads, and, and the second rows were a bit slow pushing out. But I don't know. Do, is it? Do you think it's? Um, there's obviously some cohesion communication issues. Do you think it's a defensive structure that's put in place that that's leaving us exposed like that as well? Like I just can't imagine them not telling them to fucking slide a bit. Yeah, uh, and you might be able to shut it down. Like I'd, I'd probably rather see uh, the second row or centre sort of slide through, uh, you know, brush off a tackle and score than than see us just easily strip for a, for an overlap. Like it, it can't be that easy. The opposition. Yeah, it's. I I found it hard um, to work out how it had gone so wrong, and so that makes you think. Well, it's. It's probably actually quite complicated in the sense that there's probably more than one thing. Because if it's as simple as, oh, you know, the centre is jamming in when he doesn't have to, yeah. you can you can spot that. Or the wingers running in when he doesn't have to, you can spot that. It's straightforward. This wasn't straightforward. Um, there's some really good um, 
stuff on the NZ Warriors forum this week and also T10RL on Twitter, who's a, a friend of the show, um, did some analysis on this. And, and I, I tend to agree with it. Shout out to Brother Faisal on, on NZ Warriors as well. But um, it's it's a little bit of everything, as some of those guys have put it. So you've got, um, if you look at those first couple of tries, the Rabbitohs put on, you've got the middles a little bit too compressed, the edge back rowers aren't releasing out quick enough. And remember um, various times, I think in the, to start we had Murchie and Kartoa, didn't we? So two guys who are on the edge, so two guys who are not um, probably experienced defenders. So they're probably a bit too compressed and not releasing quick enough um, as, as South start pushing out. Um, then our sort of centres and wingers are being left with, too much ground to cover, too many players to cover because they're not getting support from the inside, but they're not making the most of what they could be doing there. So they're not moving into the um, passing channels or, you know, moving moving up quick enough. They're sort of ball watching and hanging back because they know they're they're in trouble, but they're not decisive in, in making the call yeah. to position themselves right. Um, so you can't blame the edge um, entirely. You, you're sort of trying to work out you know, then you go, okay, well, why isn't the middle, why is the middle so compressed? Why aren't the edge back rows releasing? Is it because we're fatigued? Is it because South are hammering up, hammering us up the middle? And so we just don't think the middle will hold unless we're compressed. I don't know. I, I just looked at it and went, um, I don't think South was throwing anything surprising at us, to be honest. I don't no, know. Anything. It's such basic it's like shape. Block shape, two decoys. Cody yeah. Walker's always going to throw that pass. Um, you could have done a video session and looked at 30 tries that were exactly the same this year um, and worked out how to defend it. So, yeah, it's it's everybody being a bit off and not knowing their job. And to me, then that ends up with either you just don't have the cattle, like your your, your players are just not NRL level or your coaching's no good. Right? That's, that's what it comes down to for me in that first half. Yeah, and I'm pleased to see you... Uh, he say, you know, about making, you know, doing something decisive rather than just sort of hanging back and and the inevitable happening. Um, I got a bit of curry for for picking on Dallin um, and his defensive performance, and he was left with some really difficult um, situations that ended up in South Sydney tries, and it certainly wasn't his fault per se that they that they ended up scoring from them. But, yeah, you know, he's their most experienced player in that three-quarter line, 157 NRL games, uh, you know, 12 tests for New Zealand. He's, he's played a lot of fullback, so he's seen a lot of defensive lines and, and supposedly directed them. Um, and when they were stripped on his edge, he just sort of tentatively drifted into the yeah. centre. Even if the centre got it, I don't think he's making the tackle on the centre um, and you know he's not getting anywhere near getting in a passing channel as you as you pointed out. Um, yeah, this found it pretty frustrating. And those yeah the, the the cover the desperation in the cover on the Damien Cook try and then uh, and then the Elias try to maybe a lesser extent was pretty disappointing to see. Uh, particularly when you know that first half against the Storm, that's the kind of scramble and desperation you need. Yeah. You know, every game I think. Yeah, and so. You know, this is probably, now that I'm trying to look at the game a bit more from a defensive point of view as well, it, this probably is explaining a little bit the selections of Aitken and Ciro in the back row because 
because if you diagnose this as being in in big in large part as being the spacing um, from the middle pushing out to the edge back row to the centres and so on being off or also them not releasing quick enough or not being fit not being fit enough to push out and having the lateral speed you can see why to fix that problem you'd want to play a guy like Aiken in the back row um, or a guy like Sirinan who's yep. you know quite fit and quite laterally agile in your back row um, even though then that's given up some you know ability and carry and all the rest of it you can sort of see that so yeah I think um, it, it's hard because like I said you've got very inexperienced backline which by the way is partly a coaching decision um, and we've got massive injury issues which mean we've got players who usually play left plane on right side and we've got as I mentioned that you know RC who's only been there a couple of weeks and um, a whole range of um, other cohesion issues and experience issues so um, like there's this, you can cut them a certain amount of slack, but that first half, I just, I just think it's so far off um, defensively where you want to be that if I was the coach, I'd be worried. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, it's, you know, a lot of it, we can sort of talk about the X's and O's all we want. Um, a lot of it has to come back to what Simon Mannering was talking about, just defensive attitude, like, you know, the, you got even if you're sort of getting outsmarted or outclassed, you've still got to look like you're trying your guts out. And certainly didn't see that on the weekend, and it's been probably lacking quite a few times in the last month. Yeah, and and I mean, while we're talking about defence, it's been pretty noticeable how teams march up the field against us, and yeah. we don't aren't able to do the same, and. I've been focusing on our lack of back five um, carry, which is definitely a thing, and pointing at that as part of, you know, a major cause of the yardage discrepancy. But um, it's also true that our line speed is slower, and we talked about this with Simon the other day. Um, and he um, talked about, you know, when he watched the Melbourne game, he was watching our contact and our wrestle, and he, he, de- he didn't want to get particularly technical or specific about it. But... Um, I think that the edge defence issues we're seeing as a result of positioning and all that um, uh, are matched by probably a middle defence issue through a combination of line speed, contact, wrestle. I think that's – I'm starting to think more that way, which which leads me to have an overall sense that our defence is not very good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and our – and so, again, and, and you can't make the same excuse about – our middles being inexperienced as we can about our edges. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no excuse in the middle. We're probably like that. We're harping on about that being our biggest strength, um, and which still should be, and it's just not. Um, Graham Lowe speaking on Sins Radio on Monday, I think. Um, and shout out to Sins Radio for all their rugby league coverage and to staff in the afternoon for having Fonz and I on separately a couple of times each over the last month or so. Uh, but Graham Lowe was on there on Monday and he talked quite a bit about marker defence and our marker defence wasn't up to scratch. And I don't know if you had any views on that, Fonz. Um, it hasn't been an area that I've paid particular attention to. Was Graham, uh, Sir Graham, onto anything there or is it... Uh, Bit of an outdated 
sort of uh, take on things? No, look, I mean, I, I, I'm gonna. It's one for me to watch. You know, like so to me, like I said, I've been probably guilty of not paying enough attention to, you know, the the micro issues around our defence. So I'm gonna be watching that more closely, and I'd, I'd refuse to rewatch this game. You know, so I wasn't gonna, <laughs> wasn't gonna analyse this game um, in in fine detail. But I, I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, there's um, in, in terms of um, in terms of pushing out and putting pressure on halves and stuff, you markers have a key role in that. And Cody Walker seemed to have half an hour to do a lot of what he wanted to do on the weekend, especially in that first half. So, um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm sure that's part of it. I'm sure, also sure that's not all of it. Um, I mean, we, when you've got um, some of your bigger middles, like your lodgies and stuff, um, he's, you know, he's big in contact and stuff, but he's probably a bit slow off the ground. Yeah. So that might impact him out of marker. There's like, there's a trade-off with everything. You know, you've got a, a big a big body um, in the middle. Well, they're not going to be as good, all things equal. They're not going to be as good laterally. They're not going to be as good getting off the ground. And so you you sort of got your trade-offs there. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still forming some thoughts around that, mate. I, I don't want to yeah. go too, go too hard on it at the minute. Yeah. One one to watch this weekend. Uh, for a few other talking points out of the game, thought I might pick your brain on uh, the choice of Freddie Lussick, who only joined the club on Monday or Tuesday, coming into the team and leaving Taniella Otakulo, who's been in and around the squad, only chucked on for a few stints at uh, in the back row where he's certainly not suited. Um, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean either it points to real issues in our development pathway program where Otokolo, who's been in and around the top group for a while and spent a whole preseason doing no doubt hundreds of reps as our number two hooker, like I'm sure every training session, um, Egan had a break and Otokolo did some reps as the number two hooker and knows all the plays and all the calls and everything else and then we get a Roosters player who is older and has done more NRL pre-seasons generally and is more experienced in the game and all that. Um, but I don't think he's played a game all year, like I said, and hasn't played first grade in a long time. And he's seen as immediately the guy to pitchfork into the 17. Like, that's 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 a massive concern to me. Like, it's, it tells you where we see some of these guys, right? Because Otokolo's the... Um, hooker equivalent of uh, Vailea or Kossi or, you know, these guys, right? It's just, yeah, it's it's a massive concern. Now, it could be personal to Otokolo. It might be that um, he's been, you know, there's like it's almost a quasi-disciplinary issue where he's just been a bit slack at training and they want to make a point to him, you know, and it's not that he's actually that far off. But taking it at face value, it's saying that a guy who hasn't played all year pitchforked in two days earlier from the Roosters system with five NRL games under his belt is likely to do a job better than a guy who spent the whole year as our number two hooker. That's a worry. Yeah, pretty disheartening for Taniella. And, you know, I don't mind uh, Freddie Lussick as a player. I thought he went okay on the weekend and got through a shitload of work. But, you know, he's not he's not a budding superstar type that, you, that we needed to shoehorn into the team straight away i didn't think uh, well for, for a guy coming in cold like that he did an awesome job yeah, yeah. like he, he made i don't know 
was it 40, yeah. 50 odd tackles like he was trying his guts out but those tackles are pretty ineffective like it's it's all it's it was one of those situations where he made a lot of tackles because they ran at him because he was in yeah. a spot you know so um but yeah i mean he did a, a great job for the situation but yeah it's it's concerning that that's considered to be our best option when our number one hooker goes down. Yeah. Uh, analysis of Sean Johnson's display? Bit offshore at the moment, Will. Ooh. I'm a bit offshore. I look, I, I, I'm just struggling to get on his wavelength. Like, so, I, I mean, we've, we talked in the, in previous games that he wasn't taking the line on. Um, there was, the Melbourne game, he wasn't kicking, so we speculated there was an injury. Um, and I still think that's probably the case, like he's managing or avoiding an injury. But um, I, I just don't if, – if game management is what he's doing, then he's not doing a good enough job of it. Yeah. If, if he's offering a more rounded halves role, then he's not taking the line on enough. Um, and – He's, he's by no means our biggest problem, by no means. Yeah. Um, and he's he's got this quality that you see from him in every game. But, but I'm just I'm just a bit confused about the way he's playing. I, I like like I said, it's it's predictable because um, if if all you're going to do is drop your back rower inside and kick, um, the opposition works that you out pretty quickly. And then if you're Harv's partner is a guy who's played like six games and only arrived two weeks ago, right? And so the opposition's looking at it going, well, he's he might, you know, he might throw a few random plays at us, but he's really a bit of a nothing at, at six. And Sean, well, he's just going to drop his back row and kick long and not do a great deal either in terms of engaging the line. And um, then we are a very predictable side to defend, you know? And I understand he didn't get a lot of front football, didn't get a lot of good ball, especially in the first half. Um, and yet rugby league's a bit like a machine where each component drives the next, drives the next. And so, well, well the way I look at it based on recent experience in Sydney is when you get a leak in your roof, the water's not necessarily coming in through the the top where it's coming out inside, if you know what I mean. Like the leak can be all the way down the other end of the house, but you see it, you know, um, further down because – and so there's definitely a bit of Sean's dependent on what's going on around him, but I, I just I'm, I just don't understand exactly what role he's playing at the minute. Yeah, given how and a lot of people have fallen back into the trap of saying, "Oh, Sean's not a game manager." He was an outstanding game manager at Cronulla and an underrated one towards the end of, back end of his Warriors stint. From watching Sean really closely throughout his career, one observation of kind of thought of in light of, you know, struggles a little bit in the last, as the team has struggled, is that Sean has uh, been dominant in a really good team, which yeah. he's had at times uh, with the Warriors and Sharks. He's uh, regularly got us out of jail with his brilliance uh, and patchy, patchy up and down teams, which he's already done for us a couple of times this year and done on any number of occasions, uh, especially for the Warriors. Um but if a team's really struggling, 
he really struggles. And, yeah. And that's where we're at at the moment. I mean, it's only his last full season was 2020, and he played 10 games last year. Yeah. Went 2020 and in, in an injury interrupted season, 16 games. He led the NRL in try assists and finished top five in the Daily M. Like, he's not that far removed from what some would say is most consistent season of his career. Uh, it is disappointing to, you know, that he can't just sort of focus on the fundamentals um, a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. All I want as a Warriors fan and, a Sean, and probably more so as a Sean Johnson fan is for him to just concentrate on on the basics and get those done right. Because, you know, he forced a couple of line dropouts. Again, yeah. he's still one of the best in the business at that, but it gets buried under some of this other stuff. I didn't hate that he was kicking early like that. Kick for Dallin, what was maybe a brush of blood and low percentage. It was pinpoint. But the yep. chase was appalling and let Johnston get out of the end goal and, and it made made a lot worse because uh, South rumbled out the field and scored another try. And well, that and that's kind of my point, right? Because because that's that's what I'd expect to see from Reese Walsh, right? That that's that kind of risky clutch play, impetuous. It's on, it was on, and yep. so on. But it was the wrong option, you know. And so, it, I, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just sort of. I don't know. I, I I am partly a victim of my own admiration for Sean and wanting him to do well, and you know, um, probably over critiquing him like a lot of the fan base does. Um, so I'm, yeah. I, I mean, he's still far and away the best half at the club, I would say at the moment. But yeah, I I, I think um, the upside is that there's I think there's a lot more we can get out of Sean. Yeah. Going forward. I thought there was more positives to take from that performance and, you know, just about any uh, so far besides maybe the Brisbane game that he sort of really controlled it against a pretty flat Brisbane team. Uh, but, you know, he ran for over 100 metres the other day. He was trying things. He touched the ball a lot, kicked the ball a lot. I don't know. I thought it was something to build off um, yeah. as, as uh, patchy as it was. Yeah, 13, 13 runs, 111 metres. I'd say that's his year. You know, his best stats for the year, Sean. Um, Brownie in the press conference, when he's asked questions about our yardage and some of these things, he comes back to um, our attack. So he he gets asked questions about it could be about yardage or it could be about defence, and he comes back to, well, we're giving away the ball too much. So we're like we're defending 10 sets in a row or we barely have the ball for 14, 15 minutes. Um, and whether you sort of think Brownie's a guru or not, there's a bit of that too, which, again, is hard to read from your armchair, which is how tired are the guys? If they're that tired, um, that's affecting the whole set structure. Therefore, it's affecting the time Sean gets with the ball. It's affecting the options around him, the decoy runners, the, you know, whether guys are calling options outside him and all that stuff. So he's it's... You know, back to that bigger picture around Simon Mannering where he's like, people watch attack, I watch defence. You know, people watch sevens, right? Yeah. People watch halfbacks. Maybe, again, I'm being a bit guilty of watching the halfback, you know, instead of what's going on around him. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And, you know, the it's not like as men outside him, and, and I'd include Reese Walsh in this, uh, you know, running outstanding lines. Um, oh, like he had at Cronulla with Bill Kennedy and those uh, quick outside backs. Like, I mean, you know, that, that sort of shape that the Sharks were throwing at, at teams, that's kind of what I thought we would have 
with us, even though we don't have the same level of centres and wingers, with Johnson and Walsh, that's what I thought we were going to go for. It's going to rain in tries with that, but it just hasn't happened. Well, it's interesting, yeah, too, because so I came across something on Twitter. I can't remember where from, and I reposted it on Twitter, like uh, retweeted it, which was a metric looking at um, stats like decoy runs, um, off-the-ball runs, that kind of thing, to sort of try and get a sense of your off-the-ball complexity of your shape. And the Warriors were pretty much dead last on that in the comp. We're also dead, yas, dead last in yardage, right? So it's like, well... If we're not picking bodies that are designed to play a simple yardage power game and we're also not throwing complex shape because we're last on those metrics that would suggest that, then what the hell are we doing? Like how, how do we yeah. think how do we think we're gonna win other than a random bit of skill from Walsh or a random bit of SJ magic or something else? Like what is it? And um, Brownie, like him or not, he's he's too smart to be just muddling around like that. So there's something going wrong with the machine, you know what I mean, somewhere that stops it getting going. And it might not be the same thing every week, but I'm just not I'm not 100% sure what it is. Yeah, I'd love to know what's going on in, in Brownie's head because it, he must know that the way it's going isn't going to result well for the team, whether it be this year or next year, and his own future. So... Uh, yeah, it's a weird one. Uh, anything else from that game that you wanted to touch on? Um... Oh, look, I mean, a few, a few bright points. Um, you know, Tohu made an instant impact, I thought, when he came on. Um, that little bit of skill, I think it was Bunty he put away on a short yeah. ball through the middle, right? Yeah. Where, where, where the hell has that been all year, by the way? Like, so yeah. that that forward interchange thing, which was a feature at the back end of last year, mm. um, between guys like Lodge and uh, Tohu and... Uh, AFB and so on. I mean, is it that we need Tohu there to activate that? Because it Maybe, was str- yeah. um, like Lodgy's got hands. Curran's played edge, so you would have thought we could have got a bit of that going on with Curran there as well. So um, it's sort of like, well, okay, Tohu's back, so suddenly someone wants to play a bit through the middle. It's a bit weird, uh, but also good. Yeah. While she clearly stepping it up, thought Jazz went well. Uh, Montoya, instant impact day. Eh? So looking at his stats. And that perennial issue we've got coming out of backfield, um, Montoya, 179 metres uh, yeah, off. Great, and that, and yeah, and doing a hell of a lot of work too, like showing everyone else up. Not, yeah, not just as metres, but taking you know more than twice as many carries as as uh, Dallin, I, I think, from memory. And yep, I'm all spot on. Yep. So I mean, you look at that, and just to run through it. Montoya, 179 metres off 19 carries. Pompey, 106 off 10. Eh? Yeah. Valea, 41 metres off 8. Yeah. Dallin, 67 off 10, right? We, we need another, like, 150-metre carrier out of backfield there. To yeah. Especially, like, Walsh had 200 metres, did he? But I, but his, a lot of his were, you know, dummy half and south. Yeah. Field and... and don't get me wrong, I love his running game and, and all those extra efforts and that he puts himself in the play. But when you've got a fullback who's sort of kick return and um, metres out of, you know, off your own line kind of thing, you know, we're missing. We kind of took Roger for granted a lot in that aspect. So when you take Roger out of the team, plus you don't have your big wingers anymore, that's a pretty big deficit to overcome when you're trying to, when you've only got Montoya that's making a dent in it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
and yeah, while she's you know, he's made us more in good ball than a lot of fullbacks, as you say. So um yeah, but Montoya was it was good to have him back. Um what else we got? Well, I'm quickly looking at stats. So for Nord Blake, 19 runs, 187 meters. So nearly 10 a run, which is amazing. Post contact, 83. Mm. So I, I have a bit of a benchmark, which is four post contact meters of carry. And, and he's achieved that while doing enormous amounts of work. Yeah. So, and he's played the ball speed 3.19. I have a bit of a benchmark at about three and a half for a middle who's doing big post contact meters. Yeah. So, for Noah Blake's knock um, was typically awesome. Um, Logie, 14 runs, 146 meters, 48 post contact. Um, so, again, you know, very good stats. Um, very quick play the ball speed. He was very smart. I thought he's, he's actually a really smart footy player, Logie. You know, I'll tell you, he's sort of where he where he bobs up and how he impacts himself into games is quite impressive. Like, and he takes the right type of carry. You know, he, he knows when he needs to have an elbows up carry and when he needs to have a fall on your stomach carry and and um, get the set going. Yeah, he's, he's a clever footy player. Um, and uh, who else is notable? Bunty um, finally uh, had a, a game where he got some he got some meters up, so he cracked 130 meters this week, which is unusual for him. He usually sits a bit below 100. Yeah, that big line break helped, but I thought he was. Oh yeah, you're right. Actually, he, he was yeah. really eye catching though. Like I mean, sometimes you don't notice Bunty a lot. I, I've, aside from that break, I thought he was quite impactful. For me, it was weird. Obviously, those stats and I. I thought those stats were going to be a bit lower for AFB. It didn't sort of catch my eye as much. It was more of a real toiling performance, I thought, just optically. Yep. Um, you know, rather than some, you know, made a few line breaks early in the season. I just didn't quite feel like it was the rampaging AFB that we know and love at times. But yeah, uh, Lodge has been great lately. And, you know, you talked yeah. about knowing when to, like, how to hit the ground and stuff. It, that was his field goal against Canberra, really. Yep. Um, and I think we're really going to miss him. Um, I was really mentioned about how we're going to fill that golf. Obviously, City wants to stay in Australia. We haven't signed. We've signed a lot of players. We haven't signed any props. And Aaron Penne hasn't quite been the buy that we maybe hoped. I thought, you know, no. Penne, um, you know, puts pressure on Lodge as our number two front rower. He's, um, you know, not really. Just a bit of a, a stock standard middle forward at the moment, and hasn't really kicked on. Yeah, well, that's that's a interesting point. So, in terms of how we're covering Lodge, I mean, I'd say at the moment, the answer is we're between Barnett and Tohu. Sure, you get, yeah, you get so got, yeah, yeah. I mean, Barnett's not a like for like for Lodge, but um, between Barnett and Tohu, you can probably get the bits that are Lodge. Yeah. Um, that smart middle play combined with that sort of tough, no-nonsense, aggressive attitude is, is you know, what, what Barnett's bringing. Um, but, yes, yeah, so Penair played out of 13 this week. And I'm wondering if that's because now that they've looked at it, they're going, well, um, with Tohu back, we think he's going to play prop. And so once he's sort of got his condition back, he's going to have a bit more size on him, he's going to play prop. And so, Penner, you're the man who's going to drop out of the first, the top four. So the prop rotation becomes AFB, Lodge, um, Bunty and Tohu. And so, uh, Penner, we're going to um, give you a bit of a run at 13 so we can keep you into 17. I'm wondering if that's where that's going. Um, 
and I don't mind that either, to be honest. I think he's because he's uh, a bit lighter, a bit quicker than yep. the other props, and I think that blunts his impact sometimes. But um, you know, I can see how he, you could work him into a rotation at thirteen. So I'm wondering if that's where that's going. Yeah, yeah, oh, totally. It's good to have that. Those options. I just uh, probably was hoping that he was going to be a bit better than he is, a, a bit more impactful, I suppose. But you know, still working hard out there. If he went okay on the weekend. He's pretty. Um, he's pretty young, man. Like another preseason as well will do him a world of good. Yeah, like he's got a big. He's got a. He's tall. He's got a frame. Yeah. He'll fill out a bit. Yeah, twenty. What well, it must be only twenty games into his his first grade career. Yeah. Um, probably you know worth mentioning that we. You know, because of reputation or because of our lack of experience, we do expect a bit more from guys because we see their ceiling. Like Josh Curran's only played 27 games still, um, yeah. which seems crazy. You know, people talk about him as a leader of the club. You know, he's barely had more than a season um, altogether. So, yeah, yeah. Things I Hate podcast. I'm Ollie. What's up, pansies? I'm Andy. Nice. Join us every Friday at noon as we talk about everything we hate from news, politics, current events, and dolphin pee. That's right. You heard me. Dolphin pee. See you this Friday at noon. Things I Hate podcast. So, where does that leave us going forward, mate? Uh, look, uh, yeah, uh, we can talk a little bit about Nathan Brown in a bit, and, and with a team in the club and uh, heading, um, it's it's a weird one for me. I mean, we got the Dragons this week, really beatable. Should, you know, you'd really hope that we'd take care of the Knights the week after. So there's been a big opportunity yep. to get back to six and six, which you would say is a great uh, place to be. I mean, our four six record looks okay, um, and we've only been better than that. Um, after 10 rounds on nine occasions, made the finals on most of those. Wow. Uh, but, yeah, the Broncos game is probably the only one I'd honestly, honestly say we were the better team. You know, yep. we're absolutely the better team of the games we've won. Um, and I just don't think the Warriors' best 80 minutes this season, even their best 40, has been as good as the best 80 or 40. Pretty much every other club in the comp has come up with at some point, except maybe the Bulldogs, but... And you look where they are at the moment. So, yeah, I have every, to agree. Every team has come up with something. You know, the Titans maybe haven't come up with anything too blistering this season. But you know what? Really, what would you say was our best half of footy this year? It's close for me. It's just about the. Um, it's just about the first half against the Storm. Maybe second half against the Cowboys. Yeah, maybe the Cowboys. Um, it's hard because you got to factor in your opposition, right? So. Yeah, you know, like we looked the best against the Broncos or the second half against the Cowboys, but we probably played the best first half against the Storm, I'd say, um, mm. overall, because it was yeah, just a couple of costly clangers. I mean, I, I think there's definitely a big difference between us at full strength and us at um, where we are now. Like if, if you look at it, our depth is not as good as we thought, partly because we've let players go and stuff, but... Um, when your your spine number two spine player is Lusick and um, Arcee, right uh, in those two key positions, and when you're pulling up Valia and Kossi and these guys, it sort of sh- shows you that in a number of positions uh, where we're quite shallow, yeah. and so 
um, I do think that at full strength, we're a much, much better side than we've shown. So, you know, if you bring Curran back, you bring Aitken back, you bring Egan back, um, you bring, you give yourself the option of Arthur's in the centres and all the rest of it. I think that team, if you if you do, obviously Chanel, right? Um, you bring that team back, it's it's quite a different proposition. And as usual, we haven't had the chance to get that side on the field consistently. I mean, I, again, with this sort of defensive focus, I was thinking about the 17 I'd pick at full strength now if defence was my priority. Yeah. And sort of you start warming to guys like Pompey over guys like Arthur's, because I think Pompey does a reasonable job in defence. Um, you know, you start warming to guys like Ciro over guys like Katoa um, yep. in, in that sense. And obviously CHD suddenly becomes a very important player compared to um, when you look at him purely in terms of attack. So uh, I think that the defence, which we identified and you know, as our biggest problem at the moment, improves in current as well, obviously, improves a lot when you get some of these guys back because the guys who are missing, like your current, your CHT, formerly uh, Montoya and so on, are guys who make a big difference in defence, yeah. Egan. So I, I still feel like at full strength we're like a 7 to 10 team, um, but when you get injuries, we drop down really quick and, you know, all clubs get injuries, you know what I mean? Like no clubs at full strength all year. So. Yeah. I think that's that's to me where we are, um, and so then to I mean, what's your take on that? Oh yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, like I mean, I, I think I went pretty hard on it at the start of the year that we were really thin out wide for quality, um, and so it's proved. I think like I, we've had more injuries and suspensions yep. and whatnot than than inspected in that area, um, so it's exacerbated it. But I also think our best four in the three-quarter line have not been impressive at all on the whole. Like Montoya, who's missed four games, has uh, probably been head and shoulders above everyone. Um, there's been a couple, of, you know, Violet and Barry probably haven't had a good moment between them. Um, yeah. Dallin's been really patchy. Uh, and, and injured. And, and injured yeah. too. Um Cossie's obviously had a, a few uh, heartening performances and then an absolute shocker. Um, yeah. yeah, like I mean, to, to me, it's you starting to think about putting Aiken back out there at centre for both sides of the ball because we've got so much back row depth when we have Karen and everyone back and Siren. Yeah. yeah, I would do that. I would do that, but I'm less like I'm I'm less convinced that it'll solve as many problems as I was. Um, a week ago after talking to Simon and then watching on the weekend, uh, you know, I'm wondering how much of like, if, cause if you're going to take Aiken out of there, you're probably putting Katoa or Murchie there. Yeah. I would say, cause you, you probably run Curran on one edge and have Tohu at 13. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe are, are you thinking you go Tohu and Curran on the edge jazz in the middle at 13? Um, yeah, well, you so you uh, asked me before the show to pick my best defensive seventeen. So I've got well, so this is purely defensive. I had to like yeah try and score, concede as least points as possible. And I really had a lot of trouble with the back line. Um, 
I I put Montoya and Pompey on the wings, and I had Aiken and Murchie at centres. Obviously, that's not very practical or likely, mm. but that's where I've run. So even with with two of your back rowers out in the centres, I've still managed to come up with a you know back row of Harris, Curran, Tavanga, and uh, and yep. carrying Sirenin on the bench with also Tavanga, yep. Lock, and, and Lusick as your uh, dummy half rotation. Penance, Penance, and a follow like the, the front row rotation is as it is now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'm not sure about Murchie out in the centres. No, I don't. Yeah, so that was just purely borderline. Yeah, that's not yeah. going to be a, a feasible option. So, yeah, that's, I don't really know who would you have as your four. I mean, yeah, I guess Pompey centre and Dallin um, yeah. as a realistic option. Yeah, that, I mean, if, if I was picking a team based on D, but without sort of going too far out of the box you know like i'd i'd go dallin and montoya um i'd go pompey and aitken i think in my centers i'll probably go tohu and curran as my edge back rows with jazz at 13. um my prop rotation is what it is and then i've got zero on the bench um as as a possibly giving Tohu a spell, letting him play through the middle a bit, you know, depending how you want to go there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it might be that that's kind of where Brownie's heading in the next little while. Um, but he's, I don't think he's going to move Aitken out there. He's sort of, he's been asked about that a number of times. It's, mm. it's become a thing. But, yeah, I mean, I definitely would. But given we've had all these injuries, right, um, I'm just a little bit less sure that the problem's been in defence, in terms of defensive positioning, that the problem's been at centre rather than edge back rower. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it might be that if you push Aitken out, you just start the problem one in <laughs> rather than starting the problem one out. And he has been awesome on defence and yep. attack in the second row. But, yeah, I don't know, I just think the players that you're leaving out of the 17 yeah. by having Aitken in the back row, um, the net sort of positive of, you know, having to pick persisting with Vilea or Berry or, you know, bring in a Kossian or something to your back line uh, just doesn't doesn't weigh up for me. And then pl- plus you get the yardage benefit of Aitken out of the backfield. Yeah, yeah, he does a lot of work. He, yeah, he's impressive in that department. He'll get you 100, yeah. 120 metres every week sort of thing, so, yeah. Yeah, so, I don't know, maybe something to try if, it, uh, if he really needs to throw, uh, I wouldn't say it's caution to the wind, but something to, to turn things around. So, Trent Barrett got the sack. Or, yeah, or, big or news, biggest bombshell of the year, although it was kind of on the cards, especially after uh, the Phil Gould-influenced Roosters upset. And yeah, man, uh, dramatic stuff. I don't often sit through a, a whole week of NRL 360, but I've been glued to it all week and interesting stuff. Good to see them uh, holding Gus to account a little bit. I'm certainly on that side of the, the fence that he had a fair bit to do with that and that, and that Barrett jumped before he was pushed. Um, yeah, oh, he clearly, clearly jumped before yeah. he was pushed. There's also been quite a few prominent people directly or indirectly at the club coming out saying Barrett's actually a good coach. Um, yeah. So yeah. Steve Hansen, who's involved in the club, um, Daryl Halligan, um, who's involved at the club, and unnamed senior players have all come out 
and said Barrett's actually a really good coach. There's nothing wrong with Baz as a coach. So, and whether that's true or not, because you can probably find several other people to say he's not a good coach. You know, so um, I'm I'm just looking at it going. I I don't want to be that club this year. I don't I don't want to go there. I mean, um, our results aren't great, and there's plenty of reasons to seriously doubt what Brown is doing. Um, but I, I just don't think we need that in this hopefully last year based in Queensland. Um, we don't need the instability of that. What's what's your take? Uh, yeah, so we might as well dive straight, straight into it. You know that I was very um, sceptical for a number of fairly well-thought-out reasons, I thought, um, that about, you know, why Brown wasn't the right pick-up for us. Uh, certainly wasn't happy with the way the hire happened and certainly haven't been impressed with the results since. Um, I don't want to be where the Bulldogs, Bulldogs are, are now, Yeah, uh, but I also don't really want uh, Brown as, as the coach next year. I just think it's de- delaying the inevitable and we've got a bit of a chip on our shoulder about turning over coaches when, you know, like you, sometimes you do have to part ways early. I think the best thing for the club would be, uh, and this is probably looking looking at it fairly pessimistically, that there's not, not much worth salvaging this year. Um, but I just don't, from what I've seen in these 10 games, um, you know, for, I want them to see it through to the year, uh, for the year, and um, and start the hunt now for someone to go Next and start month. in Auckland. Well, it's, yeah, see, the, the challenge with saying I'll see him through the year and then I'll go and hunt, right, is from November 1... Um, and even before that, really, you, you're starting to recruit going into um, 2024. And so people are going to want to know who's your coach going to be. Yeah. And so there's a bit of pressure to extend your coach if you are going to keep him or make a call. Like, I feel like we're going to um, have to make a call on Brownie sometime before the end of the season. Um, yeah, um, and to, I'm certainly happy to do that. Um, right, but, but just let him run it out. Yeah, um, and, you know, if he wants to do that, obviously there's not many coaches that do. Um, there's a few oh, yeah. notables that that have uh, see, seen it through at the end of the year, even though they've, you know, Jeff Tovey, Neil Henry, the Cowboys have, have seen it through, even though they've been told and it's been publicly declared. Yeah, now it's seen through. Um, Brown is the kind of dude who probably would, though, you know, because, like, he's actually, a, I reckon he's a top guy. Like, Oh, um, yeah, and that's the hardest part about this. And, you know, and obviously I haven't been particularly uh, sympathetic to him um, over the last couple of years, but he does seem like a, a wonderful guy. Maybe that's, you know, if he was as obtuse as, um, as someone like Matt Elliott, it would be easier to sack him. That's the bottom line. I mean, he was half the reason he was hired by the sounds of it is because Mark Robinson likes having a beer and a chat to him. So, you know, and they've gone all in. It's it's definitely on his head more than anyone and, and you know, the rest of the Warriors brass that um, the way the decision was made and and also having to sort of backtrack on that by letting him go is, is essentially admitting they totally blew it, which I think they did. Um, there was no rush sign him to three years was ridiculous um and now his best mate is the football uh general manager or whatever his role is so you know there's a few moving parts there that would suggest brown does see out his, his contract at the end of 2023 if it's on the strength of performance and 
certainly defensive performance. I mean, I've, if I went on about it on since yesterday. Um, yeah. The the defensive numbers there are just so alarming that I I can't have any faith anymore. So, one of the friends of the show, Samuel St George, put on Twitter overnight, I think, that he'd like to see Christian Wolf come in and Brownie move to like a director of football role. Um, and there's some sense to that because I think Brownie brings things, whether or not you think he's the right coach, he brings some good things to the club. I think yeah, he's, I think he's outstanding in that role. Yeah. And um, obviously Wolf was Brownie's assistant at Newcastle. So those two okay. have a have a, a an old mate relationship. Um, I think they're both northern northern New South Wales boys as well. Yeah. Um, and Wolf's obviously doing well in the UK Super League. Coaches Tonga. Uh, so there's a bit of a um, you know no fault no blame transition that could be done there. I I, I thought that was quite a clever um, way to look at it because then you'd be you wouldn't be sacking your coach. You'd be reshaping your coaching team, um, you know, bringing in someone Brownie's comfortable with, has a relationship with Brownie, and still have a role at the club. I think that's got a lot of merit. Um, I'm not going to pretend to have really watched the Super League and know what Wolfie's been doing over there. Like, because if you're coaching one of the good clubs in Super League, like you, you automatically get a good record because there's only about four good clubs over there. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, yesterday is, you know, you can't do any more than what's put in front yeah. of you, and he has been very successful. He ticks a number of boxes for me, being an untried NRL coach with a good pedigree, with some, you know, highly rated assistant stints. What he's done with Tonga is obviously extremely notable, and there's um, there's uh, some other benefits that could tie in with with that as well, as far as recruitment or getting the best out of some existing players that we already have. Um, yeah. Some something some of this may depend on, and this is obviously if the Warriors are even looking. But who the Bulldogs pick up as their next coach? It yeah. sounds like it's sort of out of like Flanagan, Butler, maybe Paul Green. Um, yeah, who knows? Nick Potter looks like he's going to be the interim, um, but won't get it full time. Um, yeah, so so, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't sack Brownie for any of those. I know a lot of people uh, like Flanagan, but I, I wouldn't sack Brownie for any of those three personally. No, I don't think it's the right man. You know how I feel about uh, giving, and you know historically across the NRL and um, at the Warriors, our best coaches have been the ones that are getting their first crack with us. And you know, there's probably no one that's waited longer or deserves it more than than Wolf. Um, another one from the Super League that I have started to show a bit more interest in is uh, Steve McNamara. He's, he was yep. at Warriors um, in 2017. Yeah, as an assistant, uh, a lot of rep coaching experience, done done a really good job with uh, Catalans at the moment. Yep. One Challenge Cup took them to the grand final last year for the first time. Um, similar sort of feel about Catalans, like this sort of strange bunching of of players, and obviously we've been a you know a little bit um, you know rootless, I guess, uh, been over this COVID time. Uh, I don't know, just if he's able to do that with Catalans, with that sort of amalgam of, of players in a sort of foreign land, uh, like Raiders' ability to potentially be the guy to um, assimilate us back into Auckland, if that's the way we go as far as coaching goes. 
he was an assistant at the Roosters for a while yeah, too, wasn't he? Yeah, Roosters. Um, I yeah, obviously and, anyone that's been through that system. So, and he coached England. I thought England had their best attacking shape I've seen in my lifetime under McNamara. Um, I, I I don't think he's. I'm not sure about his how good he is on the the defence side of the game, but yeah. I, I definitely think he's got a good attack. He's a good attack coach. Yeah, with the um. With the right support team, he could be the kind of guy that we need, or anyone needs a good support team. I think, like you look at the good teams around the NRL, and they got pretty highly credentialed. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, man, there's a lot of people uh, piling into Justin Morgan these days. Even a few people uh, wanting to move Stace on. He's you know he's been in and around the Warriors setup for a long, long time. Um, Morgan is yeah probably one that's more so, than most so. Our defence is not good. We've talked about it. Morgan's defence coach. Therefore, yeah. I get it. Um, but when Peyton became head coach, when Mooks was sacked, everyone said our defence stiffened up and all that. Right. Mm. Well, the first thing Peyton did was make Morgan defence coach. Yeah, interesting. And because right. the defence of yeah. the second half of the season was outstanding. Uh, so so, so that, that's like you got the same coach who's, yeah. who's been – over, you know, like overseen some of our best defence in the last few years. So I'm just a little, I'm just a bit slow to go hard at Morgan. Yeah, well, I'm, I'd be more inclined uh, based on the, my uh, low-level research that, that it's a Brown problem. Um, may as well quickly run through the stats there, but since he came back to the NRL with Newcastle, they're obviously a mess, but two wooden spoons, worst attack in the comp. The first year, historically poor, 800 points is like about the sixth worst in NRL history, worst in 12 years. 2018, a uh, good team with, you know, Ponga, Klima, um, PS coming in, competitive. Uh, second worst defence in the comp despite, despite finishing 11th. Um, 2019, finished 11th again, the 13th ranked defence. Uh, last year, our worst defence uh, since 2004 or second in Club history after 2004, which was a, obviously a horrible, tumultuous season, 26 points per game. Um, rule changes potentially blamed for that, yeah. but yeah. it was still 12th ranked in the comp, which is where we actually finished. Um, but then yeah. and now this year, we've got the worst defensive uh, record in the comp after the yeah. Knights were able to only concede a few last weeks at, and at 26.3 worse per game than last year. It's a decent sample size now. I know that 70 points against Melbourne kind of blows it out a bit, but even if we only got beaten by 45 instead of 60 by the Storm, um, we've still uh, got the worst defence in the comp. So. Yeah, our defence is crap. I mean, let's that's not sugarcoat it. So, you know, it's back to how do we explain it? And it's, like I said, it, it seems to be happening in the middle, in yardage. It seems to be happening... Um, in on the edges, um, there's been times when we've defended our goal line well, but it's pretty hard at the moment to isolate it, which means you start thinking it is coaching. Yeah, you know? but like I said, I'm slow to go at Morgan because yeah. everyone everyone wanted to tell me that Todd Payton was master coach and steeled us up, and like I said, the first thing he did was put Morgan as defensive coach. So yeah, well, I mean, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but you've been when this is probably more last year but um you know sort of downplayed Peyton's uh achievement at the Warriors and sort of getting us competitive over that second half of the year um 
and this is when we were sort of at, at, on different sides of the fence over Brown and, and obviously Peyton's uh, really kicking on at the Cowboys now. He's got yep. them playing great football, whereas we're, I'd say, further behind than we were a year ago. Yep. Um, have you changed your thoughts on Peyton as a coach? So, so my position on Peyton was always that I didn't know whether or not he was a really good coach. I just didn't think the back end of 2020 was um, necessarily a sample that you could point to to say this guy's a going coach, right? The reason for that is he just carried on Wilkes' system, mm. um, galvanised the team around the COVID situation. There's no doubt he did that brilliantly, brilliantly, but that's not that's not coaching, you know what I mean? That's a, a response to a scenario. And um, so I was sort of agnostic on Peyton. I'm like, I don't know if he's good or not. And frankly, I had the shits with the way he exited the club, so I wasn't inclined to sing his praises until he yeah. proved that. Um, yeah, let's see another four weeks. Let's see another four weeks. He's had he's had about five good weeks in a row. When we played them, everyone's saying, oh, he's – like at the moment the media is all like – because I haven't been watching them that closely, right? But the media is like, oh, they spent all off-season doing defence and um, he's really steeled them up. I'm like, yeah, that's interesting. Well, Cody Nicarima ran through the Grand Canyon and scored a try yeah. when we played him. <laughs> you know, like we put 24 points on him without Sean. Was that yeah. that was without Sean, wasn't it? Um, no, no, he kicked the field. Oh, he was back. Yeah. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, um, but you know, we we put 24 points on him pretty easily. You know, yeah. like we, without doing anything brilliant. Let's just let's just see another four I'd to six. I'd say that's more of an aberration for the Cowboys. Second best defense in the comp. Ten rounds is decent enough sample size, I think. But obviously, they've got some tougher games coming up. But it's been a soft section of the draw. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk in six weeks. Yeah, no, no, I'm willing to back the pay. And I just, you know, I don't think the roster, obviously, they've got Tamalolo. Uh, other than that, it's not a superstar roster, and he's got no. playing out of their skin, whereas we've got. That's one of my, you know, big things. And talking to Simon, like that 2010 team, um, one of our better ones, looking at it as a lineup, we look at it through rose coloured, rose tinted glasses now because of how well it did. And we, you yeah. know, we sort of hold those players up high. At the start of the season, we were expected to come last um, because we had a whole bunch of no names, but we, but Cleary got guys like Lewis Brown, uh, yeah. you know, rookie Kevin Locke. Um, Jane, an unknown James Maloney playing out of their skin, and that's I don't know, kind of reminiscent a little. And Journeyman playing really well again. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of what Peyton's doing at the Cowboys. Whereas the Warriors, even though we've got some big roster holes, I think we're still playing week to week, way below the sum of our parts. Yeah, um, I, I agree with that. I agree, I, I agree with that. But yeah, um, I want to see another four to six weeks of this before I. Um, decide that the Cowboys and Peyton are top top level. Is, how many how many weeks do you want uh, before you're willing to make a call on Brownie Crystal balling it? Say we uh, only win one of our next five or six, which is yeah. could easily happen. Where, where do you think? You oh, might stand? and if we haven't improved much, yeah, I, I want to see him get a couple of weeks with CHT Toho and Egan back. Yeah, because because the last four weeks have been shocking. And I'm I'm pretty close. I've got to be honest. I'm pretty close. But um, I want to see how he goes with CHT, Toho, and Egan back before I um, give up the ghost. I think I think that's because I I just I do think that given the lack of depth we have in some positions, those three guys you know make a massive impact. So 
don't know, probably four weeks away, Will. <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll, do, we'll do a recap of Peyton versus Brown in four to six weeks. Sounds good. In the meantime, I'm, I'll be heading down to the supermarket to see if they've got any spare banana boxes to pack up Brownie's office. Um, I'm there already. But All right. got another game this weekend, St George on Saturday, very winnable. Obviously, once we see the boys in their jerseys, see Sean's little face out there, we get that rush of adrenaline and uh, and get back on the on the wagon. No death riding here. Uh, we'll see how we go, mate. Um, does that wrap us up for the week? It seems a bit doom and gloom, so you might want to go and listen to Mannering again after this, but... Yeah, anything to add before we sign off, bro? Oh, look, I mean, Saints are totally beatable, totally beatable. Um, and it, a lot will depend on who comes back in. So it looks like Aiken's back in. I don't think Egan and CHT are going to be back in, as far as I can tell. So we're going to go in under strength there. Um, but, yeah, it's winnable. And, you know, a win, a win would be big with the under strength side and then a roll into Newcastle, a win there would you know, also be doable and big. And... At that point, we'd have that more full-strength team we're talking about. And so, at, you know, if, if that happened and we were 6-6, six and six, mm. right, with with all the players back and Torhu regained fitness and all the rest of it, um, we might be singing a different tune in two weeks. So let's just let's just hold fire. Yeah, uh, it's a big, big two weeks. 6-6 six and six looks pretty good and you still win the finals mix. 4-8 uh, and eight is just about season it's over, given... Cooked. The, the top eight, you know, we've got Manly sitting in ninth um, and South in eighth. They're kind of, you feel like they'll hit their straps to a certain extent once they're, you know, getting to their groove and the top seven look, you know, home and hosed unless something really falls apart for them. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, Big two so, weeks. Big two yeah. weeks. Interesting comp. Um, yeah. Do you want to sign us off, mate? Because I still can't do it um, without sounding like Muppets. Oh, Will, did you want to say thank you to some of oh, the supporters you of you of yeah, this yeah. Warriors life? Absolutely. So uh, this is long overdue and, and uh, certainly appreciate it. So um, the the uh, handful of people that support this Warriors life on Patreon help keep the lights on here. It's it's not that cheap keeping a website and, and uh, podcast subscriptions and everything. Running so a huge thanks to um, to Ken Mace, to Robert Anderson, Michael Gordon, and Mike Hobbs. Um, really appreciate your support and and the people that have chipped in for you know a few months stints here and there. In the past, it's all very much appreciated. I kind of revamped the different levels so in case anyone wants to uh, chuck in a, a, from as low as one dollar a month. Um, that's the Dane Nielsen package. Um, Feel free to, to support if you like what we do and it obviously gives us the opportunity uh, down the track to do a bit more content and, you know, uh, spend a bit more time getting getting uh, cozy, having Simon Mannering on the podcast and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, huge thanks to everyone that does support it and everyone that, that listens and engages and comments. Uh, we certainly wouldn't do it if it wasn't for that, uh, for that sort of engagement, even though we do enjoy getting together fonds and, and with Brad, of course. Shout out yeah. to Brad today as well. Just uh, pounding away on the tools. But he'll be probably slotting uh, next week. Um, but yeah. And, and until until next week, guys. Um, yeah, look, let's uh, let's take some hopium out of the second half of last week, and let's let's just try and get two points this week. And as we slowly regroup as a club, and uh, yeah, go the Warriors.